Hi, my name is Tim Gehring with Expedient, and I had the honor of sitting down with David Linthicum, subject matter expert in cloud, and Anthony Jackman, VP of Innovation at Expedient. We had a great conversation about cloud adoption and the complexity and challenges and costs that people are experiencing today. So without further ado, here's the recording. You know, Wall Street Journal article, which I thought was fascinating, that the technology is under new scrutiny this, these days. Um, Raining cloud costs is just huge. And I actually recently have been talking with some of our top salespeople, and they're like, the biggest discussion that they're having is budget. And for a number of reasons, right? Um, it's not just what we've all had a sense is coming, which is cloud's complex and it's costing more than people thought, but budgets are becoming uh, a big thing. So. David, I know you've seen this again and again. Just oh, I saw it coming a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I just run around the country and tell people, "I told you so. I told you so. I told you so." Here it is. Yeah, how you like being wrong? <laughs> is it just that they're exceeding their budget, or that they can't predict their budget? I think they they exceeding ex. It's not living up to cost saving expectations. And everybody was running around the early days of cloud computing or even just transformational stuff to get to new new platforms and talking about how cost-effective it's gonna be and half the cost of running things on-premise. And I knew that wasn't gonna be the case if you just did the math for it. And the other thing they did is, is have some self-inflicted wounds. They ran it uh, in their own uh, chaotic way and weren't able to have any kind of cost efficiencies out of the system. They left instances up and running. They over-provisioned lots of stuff. Uh, and there was no really kind of feedback and accountability that came from usage of cloud. The whole FinOps movement is a reaction to that. People are really trying to get that discipline and that accountability under control. So, and at the end of the day, um, it's not as cut and dry as people think. Your ability to leverage public cloud versus on-premise systems or MSPs and other solutions that should be viable options as you're picking platforms for this technology to run. So I often say that that's where they just neglected the infrastructure side of things. In other words, nobody walks down the hallway to the infrastructure team and says, hey, we're going to the cloud. The development, the software application side of the house is like, yeah, go. The infrastructure people were not asked, they not talked to, they didn't have extra money to plan. It's not even thought of as a project. It, it, it's seen as this silver bullet and all of the important things that need to be taken care of, having an architectural approach, operational disciplines, tools, data skills, and management, it's almost like people wound up building another city next to the one that they had with new roads and pipes, and there's not good connectivity. I love that analogy. That is very apt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the infrastructure people weren't asked because normally these decisions are made by the solution developers that are developing stuff independently within particular pods, and they're picking whatever technology they want to pick. And that's how we got into multi-cloud as well. We, we got into multi-cloud organically because different development teams decided to go after these best-of-breed technologies. In other words, they couldn't use this AI system on this cloud provider. They had to use this one. You know, suddenly we start onboarding different databases, AI systems, app dev test, all these sorts of things on clouds and even sometimes on the enterprises. And we just end up with a huge mess where we didn't in, instruct, there was no planning behind it. Um, people just onboarded what they need. And that's not a best practice, as I'm finding. No, I worked a, a company that was uh, 50 plus billion and 
they actually tried to rein that in with procurement. In other words, so many people find clouds in so many places that IT couldn't get their hands around it and procurement was having conversations with uh, how can we train people about where to put it in the right place and so on and so forth. Like it was just out of control. Yeah. Cloud business offices were another reaction to that. You know, people decided to sand a, a group that really kind of had no operational clout. And so people didn't listen to them for the most part. And so now they're standing up in-house programs because what we're doing is making the job of automation uh, to basically control and govern the costs and make things have put some a bit more pragmatic planning behind it than than kind of the chaos that I think we've gotten to this gotten us into this much trouble. Kind of started with the viewing of cloud as a destination versus operating model. And it was this is the destination we're gonna go to and early on it was dictated which destination it was to. Right. There was a an internal initiative we are going to AWS. Uh, and it was kind of guided by that rather than guided by proper choice of technology for whatever the application actually was. Yeah, that's that's key to it. Um, it's people don't understand this is about optimization of whatever platforms we're moving to and not picking destinations before we understand what that optimization optimization can be. And I think I saw that so many times in walking in organizations where they say, well, this is our AWS project, AWS transformation project. Well. Uh, we're, you guys are at step 10 and we're not even at step one yet. Why do we know we want to move there? What are the security models? And by the way, is your culture going to be able to change around adaptation and leveraging cloud computing? Do the op have the operational planning and resources in place? And how are you going to keep it secure? All those things really just kind of were thrown out the window and just kind of making a mass move. We saw another iteration of that with the pandemic. Everybody just suddenly decided that that was their safe harbor in terms of where their applications and data can run. And they moved as quickly to the cloud as possible, just basically accelerating the same mistakes. And now we're paying for that. Bit of a hangover. I think there's actually even a, a really good example of that recently, that where Amazon themselves got it wrong on their own cloud. That you see the report from the Prime Video team? No. So they built the, the uh, monitoring infrastructure for Prime Video around Amazon's best practices, distributed microservices, et cetera, et cetera. They just wrote an article about how they reduced their costs by 90% by going back to a monolithic app. Because when they did it, they just said, well, this is how we do it in Amazon. They didn't consider that exact app. It turned out to be a big mistake. And now they've pivoted back to a monolithic app and reduced their costs by 90%. So if Amazon can get it wrong on their own cloud, it's probably pretty easy for a lot of other people to get it wrong. Yeah, and and not to pick on them. I mean, it's just it's just common mistakes that I think people Absolutely. are making out there. and and. You know, there's a repatriation movement right now, which is basically around the same thing, which is moving to managed service providers and even back on premise, you know, from cloud providers, because the simplistic things that application workloads and data sets do that may exist on a public cloud provider, um, they can do much cheaper on, uh, on, on premise and on a managed service provider and other, other alternate platforms. And so there's a mass movement there. So in other words, if I'm paying for a petabyte of storage on a public cloud provider, and I'm paying for a petabyte of storage on premise, that's gonna be significantly cheaper now. If you haven't looked for the last 10 years, you guys probably know this better than anybody else, the cost of hard drive, you know, HDD is, has dropped like a rock. And so therefore that makes it much more viable cost-effective platform, even to a factor of 10 in many instances. And so we're asking ourselves the pragmatic question, you just kind of hit on it. In other words, where were you going to run this stuff where it's gonna return the most value back to the business? I know that's a bummer question to ask, 
But the reality is that's that's really as IT people, you know, that's our mandate. That's what we have to do. We have to basically bring more value back to the business and whatever best way, whatever weapons we need to take to make that happen. When I'm talking to people, one of the things I say that I, I'm just, it amazes me. I'm, I'm on the marketing team here. And if you think about it, cloud, the big companies have gotten us to refer to our traditional systems in two distinct ways, legacy systems and technology debt. Everybody talks about their traditional systems that way. The marketing is absolutely brilliant. And since I think we've kind of agreed that, that the push is coming down from above because the people who own the companies are in full agreement because it's real. There are ways to take cloud technologies and services and enhance business operations and drive new business growth, period, end of story. So it's coming down on high and everybody's accepting this, you know, hey, this is the old stuff, we shouldn't be on it. And so the idea of looking at it in ways that you can optimize it, modernize it, which is, you know, what we've been about for a while, it's hard to get people to listen to because, well, that's the technology debt. You want me to do something with that? <laughs> it's in the zeitgeist. And uh, we have a tendency in this industry to manage by magazine and we chase the hype. And you got to remember, there's $20 billion of, of marketing uh, budgets behind cloud computing and the ability to kind of change the narrative in terms of how people are moving in that direction. And so it's going to be having these conversations where it's, it's assumed that we're making this movement to modernize their systems and moving them into cloud. When it should be assumed that we're going to optimize the platform and use whatever platforms we need to do to make that happen as an imperative. And I think those questions are important to ask. By the way, we're asking those questions now because of what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. We hit a, a complexity wall and a cost wall and we can't spend any more money and you know all these sorts of things. So we're saying, okay, where are the optimized best place for these to run? The cloud is certainly going to be a, a great optional tool, but there's other tools and other platforms that we need to consider to, to really get the most out of the stuff. And I think those questions being asked right now are exactly the right thing to do. Yeah, I think whether you're you know, modern uh, versus what would be called legacy. It's all about uh, just viewing it as an operating model because if you wrap the same level of observability and automation around, quote, legacy infrastructure as you do around the modern, you can actually get the same benefit. And by the way, a, a significant portion of applications are still a fit for the, for the legacy infrastructure. But it's much more important than it was in the past to wrap automation around it, to do policy-based security control, uh, et cetera. Yeah, I think that what it does is it fills in that gap because, like I said before, when I build two cities, I'm going to be uh, in a tough place, especially when I can't find the skills that I need to do things. If I use tools that help me optimize and modernize my traditional systems, notice I'm using a different word, and those same tools will help me on my new platforms, my hyperscale platforms, right? I've, I've started to do something I need to do because, to me, cloud has been about a new platform. Things are different. And it's not just refactoring the application. I have to refactor my DR and my backups and my security and my tools, and it's all new. And unless I bring my traditional system in my environment, which for most organizations who aren't born in the cloud is a very real factor and a costly one when it gets overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. You, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, 
And the thing is also, we have this perception that legacy systems, traditional systems are these big blue boxes that haven't been touched for 20 years. That's, that's not what they are. They're cores uh, that operate in very modern data centers that have the ability to scale and have manageability, and they're typically software defined, and they have all these capabilities that we don't, we don't really kind of understand that they're there. And the reality is it's not free to move to cloud and we can't just do lift and we find that out that lift and shift doesn't necessarily work for the majority of the time you have to do to your point significant refactoring this different security model different governance model different operations model to make it work effectively that doesn't mean it's not a viable platform but the thing is this is about considering all the options and if we're a good architect out there and we're a good solutions provider we're looking at everything and the viability of those platforms, how they're gonna provide growth in the future and also what the cost efficiencies are now, what they are gonna be in the future and things like that. It's not always gonna be an automatic default platform. Even moving to the cloud, we're now moving to distributed environments, edge-based systems, micro clouds that actually exist in data centers. Um, you know, All these very complex deployments which are not having centralized you know, as a service components, aspects of it sit on premise. So we're moving into this complicated architectural, you know, domain where it's not set in stone as to where we need to run these things. And I think even moving forward, we're going to have automatic relocation of different data sets, the ability to have autonomous, you know, relocatable uh, application workloads and data and the ability to have resources that are going to be cost optimized and may exist on premise versus in the cloud providers and the ability to move in between them, you know, as you need it is really where the destination is moving to. So if you're doing there, why are you trying to eliminate your best cost option in many instances? And why are you eliminating your options? That's a big initiative from a lot of the major software players now in the kind of enterprise data center software, uh, mobility of data, mm -hmm. solving for data gravity appropriately. And this is in data platforms and compute platforms as well. Uh, they're seeing the value of giving clients flexibility and really solving for that without the need to go to a hyperscaler and consume a native PaaS service. Yeah, you, uh, the cloud is has extendability now to these edge-based systems and the ability to have, you know, run aspects in the data center. And they're doing that for a reason because people are demanding to have this flexibility of running different workloads all over the place and also co-locating these cloud-based workloads that's closer to the applications that need access to the data, in this case on-premise. And so we're, we're assuming that there's a, there's a big cloud someplace and it has to you know, move in that direction. And that's not going to be the case. So we're going to run it on our wristwatch or we're going to run on that thermostat that's on the wall. Any number of places where it makes sense to host the platform. And it's getting easier and easier to do that as we move forward. But there's, you have to look at where the optimization is. You have to look at the cost effectiveness. And that's kind of what people are missing out there. And I think uh, one of the good things in how we're going to grow this moving forward is that people will have a realization. This this kind of stuff is coming down for the board of directors and the C-level folks. They're, you know, it's not coming from IT. This is you need to figure out cost advantage. They're saying we're paying, you know, ten times what you said we we're going to pay, you know, for these different new architectures, these new scalable systems that you work in the cloud. We're not going to do that anymore. How are you going to be able to get us out of that? How are you going to return more value back to the business? And the reality is, it's going to take some businesses down because not only is it the way in which they build and deploy applications that automate things internally, it becomes the business itself. In other words, their ability to automate IP, provide uh, enhanced customer experiences, all these sorts of things become the differentiator of the business really is going to take them to the next level and affect them not to be disrupted, which I think many of them are. So we're making mistakes that are not only just going to cause annoying uh, IT bills that are going to be very difficult to explain to board of directors, but things are going to take some businesses out.
because that becomes the core business unto itself. So to me, it's like if the business is a ship and I have the anchor of my traditional systems uh, and I add a whole new platform, I'm kind of second anchor until I make those things cohesive, until I do something to pull the you know operational disciplines or, or, or core principles that need to be executed. And to me, having been in infrastructure a very long time, the interesting thing is there are ways to do this. I mean, it's, it's not like they, moving your applications into the cloud is like a complete rebuild because you're going to a cloud native platform and microservices and this, that, and the other. Moving your infrastructure over, yes, it's new, similar, but there are a lot more things that are out there as a service, make it easier. I've got a skill shortage. Well, let's not worry about the commodity stuff in my infrastructure, but let's put the right things in place so that things are running better. It, it, I could talk about it to the point where it just makes me feel like it's hopeless. But the truth of the matter is there's a lot of things out there that are ready to help people, whether they're just starting, as few people are already, most people are already in it. But we like to call it uh, order matters. I mean, we compare it to the fact that if it's a math problem, you're putting your operators in the wrong place. And if you started that and you're three years into it, your results are obviously going to be way off, but you can still correct those operations. And and for us, and correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony, these things are, been doing it for a long time. I think one more thing, one of the things we throw out when we decide it's legacy and technology debt is the maturity around running those systems. Agreed? Yeah. I mean, this has been key to our story for a, a long time. We have a, a number of customer, te customer testimonials about how us solving for their existing problems, things that they understand and giving them automated tool sets and observability about over what they had today, freed up the cycles that their team needed to upskill, to go to the next generation of clouds for the applications where it makes the most sense versus an edict across the board that we're going to go do everything. Let's, let's solve the problems that we have right now. Let's get some uh, management over our technical debt and free up cycles from our people. And by doing that, just like you said, reversing the order of operations, they saw a massive acceleration um, for how fast they could transform their business. Yeah, absolutely. If again, we're putting a different objective, you know, it's not moving to a platform, which you just stated, which I think was objective in the past. Uh, it's moving to an optimal state and something that's going to be a little bit more difficult to, to figure out in terms of the value that's coming back to the business. But we're evaluating each workload and each data set on its own terms. In other words, not on the terms of uh, the market or not on the terms of ready to go. We're looking at it strategically as to where it needs to exist and making the right decision. It really kind of comes down to that. And it's well, it's it kind of blows my mind how many people just don't see that. Really kind of is the way in which you're you're going to look at it. And I think, and the reality is we're getting to a state, and this thing kind of scares me, well, it almost ends up working. You know what I mean? Well, okay, uh, maybe you shouldn't have moved to the cloud, but it works. You know, and it's like, well, okay, well, it works, but it's costing you, I think, you know, let me just in back of the napkin, okay, it's $2 million a month more you're paying for that thing than, than doing it on-premise or even some other alternative platform. So just like it works, we got to start using, stop using that as a core metric. We can make everything work. Right? Right. It can be on a completely inefficient platform and work great. You got to figure out in terms of its optimization of the system and start asking the question. So someone has to take leadership within these organizations and say, are we fully optimized on that particular platform and leveraging this technology? 
or is this something we've moved to probably for the wrong reasons? And those questions aren't being asked. No, and to me, because the edict came down from above, what they were really looking for was that enhanced operations and or new business growth. If you ask them that question, working and enhanced or new business growth are different things. So if you told them to really take an audit and check on it, now unfortunately, they're the guys at the top, they made the decision. Are they gonna come back and say, oh, you know, made a mistake? No, it's, it's working, got it. But if you wanna switch gears a little bit, you can get back to unleashing the potential that was there by doing what you said is, well, what we've all been saying, which you gotta focus on the right modernization and optimization. It's, it's, it's a, uh, we call it what? A journey, not a destination. Journey, not a destination. I think we have to have, educate people and organizations to ask the tough questions. So you just mentioned it. it really kind of comes down to leadership and also the ability to kind of admitting mistakes and backing some things up. I, I can't imagine someone has to go in someone's office time. Remember how we moved to the cloud? Well, that's turned out to be more expensive than we thought it was going to be. We're going to move it back on premise and uh, we're repatriating the system. But those conversations, I think it's okay to have. I think that uh, it's a win. I would high five somebody if they came up and had the courage to make those decisions. And in the organizations, we need to make it um, acceptable that this is going to be an agile and constantly changing operations. We're going to make mistakes. And the only way to find complete optimization and complete agility is the ability to kind of move things back and forth as we need to and, and put them on the right platforms and then even have to uh, relocate them if we've made a mistake in moving to the platforms. Sometimes leaving stuff on premise, that's a mistake. Sometimes leaving stuff on an MSB, that's a mistake. Sometimes leaving stuff on the cloud is a mistake. So let's ask the tough questions now. Let's, let's, start, let's start calling into task as to why we made these moves, you know, what value is coming back into the business and what we should do going forward. Yeah, we're, we're getting the perfect storm right now because you look at uh, Dropbox, for example, who went to the cloud and came back out and they're saying their margins are up 34%. We ourselves uh, saved the University of Phoenix $50 million over the life of the contract by just pulling that they were on the AWS journey. They're still on the AWS journey, but we pulled them into our platform in nine months and streamlined things for them. But now the perfect storm is because um or you can tell it's there because one of the few people who are reporting the difference in repatriating and what's happened right now there's a flexera um uh poll that they did recently and for the first time ever cost has become a higher concern for the coming year than security so Yes. And, and, and to me, the question is, you know, what, what kinds of things have you seen as direct impact on businesses? We've seen it. We can talk about it. You know, what, what have you seen where, you know, besides cost or bad decisions, and if somebody says it's working, as we just said, huh, is that really working? You could tell by the two millions over, but I'm sure there's some other stories. Yeah, I think we're seeing businesses that, that are um, dying and don't know it. I think we're seeing a, a rash of those right now. So in other words, they've made many mistakes. Everything seems to be working fine, um, but they're paying way more for their IT infrastructure. They're hindering development and creativity. They're not enabling the producers in the organization to create net new innovations. They're gonna take the companies to the next level. They haven't done digital transformation and they may believe in their own minds that they're doing just fine but the reality is a company is going to die the death of a thousand cuts over the next 10 years. 
Um, and I wrote an article years ago called The Brand Apocalypse. I never write about business stuff. I always write about tech stuff. But I kind of seeing the fact that many of these organizations are going to go through these uh, uh, kind of uh, invisible downfalls that occur within because they're making the wrong decisions and mostly about the technological aspect of it. And so they're going to end up getting smaller and smaller, smaller part of the market share where someone buys them and they're never going to go out of business. They're just going to get bought. So we're going to have brands that are around for 100 years. Uh, we've seen this happen in the last five years, you know, 150 years, but that just kind of go away. But they went away for no good reason. They went away because many bad decisions were made and that didn't come to the realization that their investment in IT wasn't working strategically for the business. They got enamored with the fact that things were just operating and working. Here we go again. But it was taking too many resources out of the business. They weren't enabled creativity and innovation. They weren't uh, leveraging a culture and operating model to, to get the most of the cloud-based systems. And they just end up dying and going away. And I'm not even sure people who say, well, that was, I wonder why they did that. Maybe the market went away. No, the market didn't go away. Uh, well, maybe they, you know, just uh, couldn't, um, you know, uh, spend as much as the other companies. Now they're spending twice as much as other companies. So you, you get the pattern here. And some people even get through it, but as an example, I talked to uh, another large company, they do distributors, a distributorship, and I talked about their old system. They had a large system. They were moving into AWS. They, they had a good pace. They were moving things properly, but they had a lot of stuff left. I said, why are you leaving that there? And they said, well, our plan is to just let it die on the vine. And well, is that three years, five years, 10 years? Because what a lot of people think would be, here's how much it's going to take. I talked to a CIO at a large financial firm, and I was asking basic questions about how's the cloud journey going? Like, tell me about it. And I would ask simple questions. Tell me what's working. I always ask him that question before you ask him to tell you what's bad, because you can't get back to the good. And he said, no, let me tell you what's not working. He wouldn't even answer the question. He goes, I, he said, um, the board came to me uh, almost four years ago and said, we got to move the cloud, one of those cloud for first programs. He goes, I told him I could do 90% in two years. Jim, I just stopped the program. We're 28% of the way. I've spent way more money than I thought I could. I can't get the people to adapt to the change. I can't find the skills that I need, et cetera. And to me, that's what happens when you don't look at where are you getting the value for the move? Like, why do I need to move an application into that? There's good reasons. There's really good reasons to look at putting it in AWS or Google or Azure. Very good ones, especially if you're optimizing using the services and so on and so forth. You're focused on the application and what it's going to give the business. But if you decide cloud is that magic thing, something you're not laser focused on where that's going to come from. It's like Years ago, when I was in the database business, I got on a talk after Informix was on stage before me. And you know what they said, and I'm showing my age here, Informix. Build it and they will come. And I was in databases deep at that time. I got up on stage and I knew the guy personally. And I said, hey, Rob, I'm really sorry. Don't build it and they will come. Like, go figure out where you're going to get your value. And that hasn't changed. SQL coding hasn't changed in all this time. That hasn't changed. So to me, what we've put together and why we put it together is to help businesses out with that. But getting them to listen to that, especially when you look at um, you look at the difference between how decisions are made in the software side from how decisions are made in the infrastructure side. 
the people who take that job, a lot of times, not all the time, are meant to keep the lights on. And for good reasons, and that's what they focus on. So you tell them, hey, you gotta rework your entire platform. It's not necessarily how they think. And if the business at the top, who doesn't understand that infrastructure anyways, is having a hard time figuring out how to handle that, how do you bridge that gap from a business perspective? And that massive shift in how they do things that they need to go? That's a great question. In some cases, you don't. You know, in some cases, unless they, they hit rock bottom, uh, they're not going to change. I kind of realized that after, you know, being in this business for 40 some odd years and, the, and seeing people change and not change. And <clears throat> the reality has to be some sort of a uh, an urgency that's set up either by the board of directors or by some key leadership that comes in there that starts, that is truly an agent of change, not just an agent of operating, where they start moving in a different direction. And that only happens when people touch the oven, you know, so they touch the stove. And, and it's, it's a shame that it works that way. But the reality is you just kind of hit the nail on the head. People are typically hired to maintain the status quo, to keep the lights on, to keep things running, to make sure the invoices get out on time, to make sure the products are built, to make sure the IT systems are supporting some of the basic you know, business processes. There, there doesn't seem to be an incentive there to do innovation. There doesn't be an incentive there to do optimization. I mean, your friend who is a CIO, I see it all the time. They're running ninety percent in the cloud. I think we're probably gonna, you know, even if they're even our best, even our best dec decade or two decades, like we will saturate it at seventy percent uh, in moving in moving because it does. It's not cost effective for all these workloads to move in that direction. But the reality is, people weren't looking at the cloud for what it needed to be looked at. Something that's going to have an opportunity for optimization, opportunity to build net new systems. And by the way, that's where all the developments occurring in the cloud. You're trying to do the best AI systems. Those are going to be in the cloud, typically not on-premise. So it's going to have a it's going to have a core use, but just as a platform alternative that can lift and shift out of a particular data center um, with no remediation or refactoring that occurs when I make that happen, that's typically not going to, sometimes it will, will work out, but in many instances, not viable. You have to link it into the cloud native features and the security systems, and you can make a very efficient application, but guess what? That's going to cost you three times the amount of money it took to rebuild, to build the application in the first place, because refactoring actually means rewriting from scratch, right? Or mostly rewriting from scratch. So if we're going to make that move, we just kind of have to figure what realistically that's going to be, how many resources are going to take out of the organization. And also ask ourselves, should we make the move? And I think that's what, that's a question that's not getting bantered about. And I think we're we're up against, like I said, a huge marketing push that's been going on for a long time. Back in 2010, 2011, people were cloud washing everything. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're making this cup, it's cloud aware. Uh, now we're doing the same thing with AI. And so we just saw a massive adoption of this kind of religious belief that this the system is going to, you know, bring us to the next level, not looking at for what it is. It's another tool in our arsenal that's going to make us better at doing IT. Now we're coming to that realization. Hopefully enough people will come to realization before they take their business down or their careers down. I think we're going to see both. A part of it too, he said, you have to consider how many resources you're going to take out of your organization. Mm -hmm. But you also have to consider, can the resources in my organization even handle this change? When you talk about the team that's been asked to keep the lights on, right? Over the years, those systems have grown and grown and grown. And those people manage tens of systems. And so the business assumes, well, they've learned all these. The, you know, the next jump, they can easily learn this next system. It's not typically the same type of skill set, 
right. right? The person that's great at running the on-prem infrastructure and the backup platform, et cetera, might not have that great of a grasp of how to consume a data as service. It's a different skill set or a significant upskilling, uh, which while they're keeping the lights on, how are they supposed to do that? So it's often not just resources pulled out of the organization. It's also resources that need to be pulled into the organization, which is a cost that's not always considered. And yeah, until after you're trying to make the move. Absolutely. Great point. And many in instances too, they're additive. In other words, they don't replace anything. So, you know, they've gone from, uh, say running a uh, hundred systems on premise and they're going to move 20 of them into the cloud. They may have 110 systems at the end of the day. Many of them just don't go away and they become kind of redundant systems are running in parallel at the same time with the, with the idea we're going to sunset. I know that's a better word for saying retire or turn off. Um, but it just kind of never happens. And that's how we're getting into this complexity problem. We're just getting over heterogeneity because we're building systems and different platforms. And we're asking the operational people to, by the way, we know you're running these 100 systems. You need to run these 120 now, 20 in the cloud. Yeah, I know you all have the skill sets to do that, but you know, here's some on-demand training. Go ahead and make that happen. That's too much, uh, too much draw on those resources. And that's where companies are running into this, this complexity wall, this, this cost wall that's hitting into because they built these additional systems without regard to how the people and operations are going to scale up and make them happen. So we can't operationalize these complex environments because we didn't think through what it takes to do that correctly. It's just dawning on me now as I think about this because um, I was in managed services for a long time. In fact, I was selling it before people would really let somebody in to do the managed services, right? Had to wear tap dance shoes and all kinds of things to get people to listen to it. And when I finally got to do them, it was the same kind of thing with the University of Phoenix and other clients we have. We saved them money and we did things better than they were doing it. To your point about needing a new set of skills to, to do the optimization and modernization of that environment. But there's a gap between that and where they need to be next step after that. So the advantage of this is really um, very similar to how it was back in my day, but I think what they need to look at is no different than when I sold uh, Oracle Managed Services to Pioneer Standard years ago, I said to the CIO, listen, you got three DBAs here. I keep coming back to fix problems at the core of the system. Just give me a contract and let those guys keep doing the work they're doing for the company. And, and they did that and they were very successful with it. So it's no different. It's Look, if and, and the message is no longer just to IT, the message is to the business. Look, if you really want to get business enhancement and, and have the opportunity to do innovation and drive new growth, you need to make a shift. This isn't, uh, I can put my stuff over there and I'm done and now I don't have to think about my data center costs. It's way more than that. And it's a big opportunity. It is a big opportunity. And so, you know, what do we do? I mean, what are we saying here? What are, we're, let's we get into this uh, kicking the same ball around and uh, and uh, getting into a disinfected drum circle, you know, so to speak. <laughs> what the stuff is, but what you know, what are we recommending as far as getting organizations moving in the correct direction? Yeah. So for us, it's an and conversation. We've been talking about it's an and conversation. It's a plan up front. It's a what's the low hanging fruit where I can offload some things off my team, right? I think something that everyone's bought into at this point is that certain things are a great fit for SaaS because you really don't have to worry about it, right? And those are things, systems you have to manage today. Almost everyone's on 365 at this point, which sounds small, but that actually offloaded a good amount of, of work from internal IT. That's a great first step. 
and then look at the rest of your workload and decide what's the order in which I need to modernize this or not modernize this, what systems I need to put in place to get better control over my systems that are going to stay on premise, um, and, and then execute on the plan. And I think partners are typically a big part of that because like we said, um, the, the skill set that exists within a business is not necessarily always correct. And you can bring in a partner for a short period of time to help you along that plan and make sure that you optimize versus. Yeah, this is uh, solving a problem systemically. I mean, it's, it's not throwing technology at this. It's getting into the culture and the people and the skill sets you're going to have in the organization to take things forward and where they're going to come from and what they're going to do. I think those uh, we're not asking ourselves those questions in many instances and also factoring those things in the selection of the technology. You just mentioned SaaS. You know, I, I agree with you. If, if you can put it in a SaaS-based system, normally it's a better system and you don't have to maintain it. It's, it's outside the organization. Someone does that on your behalf. But, um, you know, what about the infrastructure stuff? You have to deal with the databases, all these sort of things. Where are you looking to move it to? What kind of skill sets you have to have around? What kind of culture of adoption do you have to have? You know, what about, uh, you know, putting putting things in a product management versus just an application management uh uh, journey, so we're having interactions with with the cust both the customers and the users internally the organization to make those things better, and it really needs to be something that has to be owned by an organization that has kind of the political will to make the changes they need to take things to the next level. And by the way, I've seen it happen a few times. I've seen uh, heroes uh, within organizations that know exactly what they need to do, and they're on this multi-year journey, which is difficult to do because if you're working for a publicly traded company, I was officer of a few of those. It's quarter on quarter growth is everything. You're trying to get everybody into the mind. It's not quarter on quarter growth, less investment into the long-term value and where the organization is looking to go. Having those conversations, having your leadership and having your investors agree upon it, and then back those into those sort of conversations, which are more product, you know, productive moving forward. And we've been not necessarily thinking about this in a value play, thinking about this in a cost play, EPS play. And I'm not sure that's the right way to go. And I think the investors and the markets in general are rewarding companies that are able to make these innovation leaps to move to these states that are going to be closer to fully optimized where they're leading their business. So you're at the point where we're losing the resources efficiently as we can. That's going to be core to what we're doing. And so we're minimizing the cost. We're minimizing the amount of sauce we're spending on humans and IT resources, things like that, without undermining the existing strategy as to where we're looking to go. And now that's possible to do. Again, it's spending things wiser, not, you know, uh, you know, wiser, not uh, uh, more in a more cost-effective thing and not being penny, you know, penny wise and pound foolish when you make these sorts of things. So this seems to be an obvious trend that needs to come in there. And we're, we're going to see, I think, this happen anyway. Because the ones who really don't affect this sort of cultural change and this sort of change in infrastructure and how we're leveraging and optimized resources are going to go away. You know, the, the market's going to do the natural selection and they're going to be, you know, off into the wind. They're going to get bought by other organizations that figured out how to make this happen. But I can think there's so many organizations now that have a viable chance to make the changes they need to make to think differently and how they're dealing with technology and think a bit out of the box and how they're dealing with this stuff and look at this stuff with different metrics in different measurements than they're currently doing. So I, I agree 100%, and I wanna just emphasize that unless they're really looking at how the applications that sit on the infrastructure are being optimized and modernized to meet business initiatives, they've got challenges. But that drum circle that we had before, 
that talks about the infrastructure, one of the things I would say that I think is really important in solving the problem has to do with the planning that Anthony mentioned. And I think a piece of that is if, if I was going to give it a name, it has everything to do with the silos that we work in. Because people by default have accidentally been building two cities. And so I've been working with a company recently and they're buying DR and they're looking at that DR project like a silo. And they're not even on a full cloud journey yet. But the problem is, is that in today's world, using cloud tools, you need to not buy DR without thinking about how production is really working, how your security is really working, really important. Yes, yes. And, and because people are so accustomed to thinking in silos and working, especially in IT, these are the guys that are keeping the lights on. Hey, I need DR. No, no, don't talk to me about those other things. That's crippling them. Because what's really a value is when they can look at that product and start to think about that landscape as we've been talking about. If you look at our portfolio, we call it uh, the Lagos, you know. In other words, we, we have a very large portfolio that covers a lot of arenas from edge to VDI to DR to backups with the micro segmentation and firewalls, all these things that go in it, but they're all built to go together. In other words, we publish the stack that we run. And we're not saying you need to buy all that, but you know that when you're buying those pieces, two things can happen. One, you can use those. And two, don't buy it without talking to us about how it's going to fit into what you have, because it's meant to do that as well. We don't, we say it's an end conversation because we know multi-cloud's a reality. But we've been building our products for a number of years now to be able to work on-prem, to work in our cloud, to work in the hyperscale clouds, et cetera and a wide variety of areas. And I think that one little piece of advice, if you could find a hero or somebody who's listening enough to say, yeah, I, I wanna try and make that shift, that's a smaller shift, but it'll have big consequences on the underlying infrastructure that is right now the, the second boat anchor that's holding the company back. Yeah, I think it's going to be a push to doing things using common services and common mechanisms moving forward. Because, I mean, when we started the conversation, I was saying the same thing. Uh, little pods within organizations, because we're all agile now. And so we just make it up as we go along and, uh, you know, get in a digital drum circle, so to speak. But smaller drum circles with a two-piece team, whatever. But the reality is we can still do that but still have commonality in how we're going to deal with core services. If you think about it, we got into the complexity problem because there was no commonality. Everybody used whatever uh, BCDR system and security system and governance system and even FinOps systems and things that really should always be deployed as common sets of services to solve a particular tactical problem that was related to a particular solution pattern. And so that's how we're getting in trouble you know, so to speak. And I'm going to say, well, that's the way, you know, the creative innovation wants to occur within these pods and we just do it that way. And when they externalize something, we'll figure out how to operate it. That won't scale. And, and ultimately, you know, I wish we lived in a world where I could, you know, you make stuff up and it would be hundred percent optimized and work and stuff like that. They have to link into a common set of security, common operational framework. They have to deal with abstraction automation or else we're going to spend too many resources in operationalizing this stuff. But they have to think about those things across the landscape. So as long as they're thinking holistically, they're going to do great. And I'd be curious your thoughts because another aspect of this 
you know, little hint as to how you might be able to get the infrastructure, pull the anchor up on the infrastructure to get the ship moving. Automation seems to be really huge. I mean, and, and if you focus on automation as a means of doing things across the landscape, don't get down into a pocket. It can be of great value. Automation is a must. It's not even a question. Not, not even a question. And it's it's not just automation. It's automation approached appropriately, where you abstract as much as possible under the under the scenes, and you uh, control the interaction point and make it look the same. Whether you're deploying to AWS or Azure or on-prem, if you can make it look the same, and it's just a choice of where it's going because of some other service that that needs to consume, that's how you can really get the acceleration and abstract the complexity away. Yeah, it's putting it's putting uh, volatility into a domain as an old architectural challenge. And by the way, that's been around for a long period of time. People say, well, it's volatility in domain. That's genius. No, we were talking about that in the 80s and 90s as it's moving forward because we're dealing with the movement of distributed systems. And it seemed to work there. But the thing is, we have these, to your point, we have these entirely complex heterogeneous systems all using different interfaces and different security systems and you know, different ways of, uh, of provisioning and deprovisioning systems. And the thing is, if we're going to deal with these systems on their terms, not going to scale, not going to work. We need to deal with these systems on our terms, which means we use automation and abstraction as a way to place volatility into the domain that allows this stuff to scale. When you get down to it, it's the only answer, I think, that wor works because we've proven this to work. But it's, it's not a eureka concept. It's an old architectural standard. It's been around for a long time. Uh, and, and so... It just seems to me, people, when they touch the oven, they're going to be start moving in this direction. My my uh, hope is that they're not too far gone in terms of the complexity they created, where they're not able to roll it back into something that's going to be viable to operationalize. Yeah, the problem I think becomes when systems were chosen that were chosen without automation in mind to start. Those are the ones that are difficult because there's some things that are very difficult to automate against, especially some legacy type systems. Um, so that needs to be a, a main consideration point when you're choosing any new platform is not only can I automate it, but can I automate it in the way I've automated? It's, it's got to have an API. And that, that's been a, a core rule of mine as an architect for a long period of time. It has to have a, a, a service level interface into the system or else it's not going to have value to me. We have to be able to run in different ways. I think all the software vendors mm -hmm. understand that at this point, finally. I, th I think they do, but I still see some APIs that are not function-to-function -function matches for, you know, what they provide with the user interface is just a little bit disappointing. So in other words, I can only do things on the user interface that I have to go down. I can't do using the API. There's not as much emphasis on doing that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's a kind of a core tenant expedient. We're evaluating new products. One of the things we evaluate up front is the richness of the API. Was it done correctly? Is it at feature parity or greater than the UI? And how does it plug into our automation framework? Because we're running IT for thousands of customers. We can't do that if we can't automate it completely end to end. Yeah, and it's absolutely imperative for the enterprises who leverage the technology. You should have should be dealing with these systems on your terms, which means dealing with these systems at their at their interface level, not whatever user interface which causes a human being to stare at the system and make it behave in a certain way. That won't scale. We don't have enough human beings around to stare at your user interface. So we talked about, um, you know, holistic planning, looking at the things that I'm putting into place as the stepping stone. So if I'm getting DR, new backups, which are getting refreshed because there's better tools out there, making sure that I'm linking that into everything. We've talked about automation as part of that. Um, one of the challenges I don't know that we can tackle here is that cultural mindset, you know, 
how do you and to me that's where if you know we can have these simple conversations around you're buying this tool how is that going to fit into other things and or you know we're saying literally we'll sit down and have that conversation a lot of times we get stopped before we can even get to that and there's no charge to have that conversation with us but people want to operate in that old model we can't get them to that next step i guess the message i'm saying is that it's worth just looking at because there's such advantages to Anthony's point, uh, making sure you understand what you're buying, how it's going to relate to the future systems that are coming and, and make sure that it's connected to an architecture that you're growing for the future instead of continuing to build traditional systems. I might even call them, if you're not thinking ahead, legacy systems at this point. There's no reason to put something in new right now that is going to pull you backwards. Yeah, I agree. And so they're saying no because they have a culture that that just does not want to hear it or is it? Yeah, a lot of times it's the it's, you know, you've got a guy in charge. He's made his way up through the ranks for a long time. He's the one who's really, really influencing the decision. You can't get to the CIO to ask the question about what are the next things the business is going to be doing, which is, as we talked about before, a really key part. Yes. I mean, if you're going to trust a partner or talk to somebody about what they can do for you, you want to have that conversation with them and hear them addressing and asking the right questions without in every other sentence saying, well, our DR project product will solve that for you. You know, it's, it's really looking at that, you know, more deeply. But I think the idea of just automation and um, looking at things properly and asking a few questions about where it would go is really helpful. I'm not saying you need to hire the most expensive consultant to come in and look at things and understand where your data is and your application. That's, and if you're making infrastructure decisions, there are, as I said earlier, simple things you can do right now that will lighten that anchor more and more on each step. It's yeah. interesting that you bring up DR. Um, one of the things that we offer is a, a DR assessment, right? Where we go into a, a customer and we help them evaluate what they need to do for DR. The interesting part about it is that one of the most common outcomes is they figure out things they need to do in production from the DR. Of course. Yeah, well, the same thing with security. You do a security assessment, they go, oh, oops. (laughs) (laughs) And they end up uh, making augmentation, do the same thing with governance and even FinOps. People have a, if they're looking at their system in different ways, uh, they can see an assessment, see it in a different way, and then find vulnerabilities and find uh, different operational things that they can change. Sorry to interrupt you. No, not interrupt. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything else, Anthony, you want to um, focus on relative to getting better. We've kind of hit on things and at a high level. Are there any specific things that you wanted to just point out? Um, and especially in the end story, the kinds of things that we've done with Azure and folks like that to yeah, I mean, I could talk about the clients that I think have gotten it right the best and, and what they did, right? They started with plan up front versus do up front, right? And probably step number one was getting control and probably observability actually before control. Observability over their existing systems, right? Probably security uh, up front because if you get security wrong, there's even one mistake, it will blow up the rest of your plans. Right. Not even a question. Uh, observability over cost and actually understanding the cost of everything. And also what is providing value to me and what's not, how many clients do we have that we onboard and we help them discover that 20 to 30% of their workload was idle machines running dollars flying out the window all day, not providing any value at all. 
rotting negative. There's some money. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that is a first step, right? Then, okay, let's strategically look at where are the hyperscalers are fit. Uh, great. I already mentioned 365. That's kind of a no-brainer across the board. Um, we've had a lot of customers that find that workload is a great fit for Azure. These three applications are .NET. We have a team of .NET developers that have done it for years, and Azure has given them the easy button to port that code and optimally run it in Azure while consuming some other services. So another common theme, we've had challenges with database performance, keep databases up to date, push it to Azure, Azure consume database as a service that makes the absolute perfect sense. And now that you have a little bit of control over your environment, you've optimized a couple things, you can redirect your resources to figure out how do I take the next step and solve some difficult problems or how do I build that application that's gonna enable my business to go where we plan to be in five years. That's, you just stated what everybody should understand. I mean, and I like the first thing you talked about. You talked about a plan that leads to observability before you do execution in deploying these platforms. That's how people are missing right now because you know that's not a fun thing to do when you do the analysis of the existing requirements as you were looking to go and also observe what the systems are doing now so we can figure out the existing state before we figure out a future state and how to make it run and also find common services and dealing with security, at least from a logical layer before you start deploying it as a physical layer. And, and, uh, I, th I think what's missing out there is that kind of thinking, which really should be implemented in every organization, at least that I deal with, because they're not people like being tactical around tooling, things like that. If you want to go in and have a DR conversation, they don't want, they don't want to talk to you about a plan or talking about a backup system and a redundancy system and how it's going to come back and things like that. So they're focused on the technology, not necessarily having, you know, the resource and the requirements conversation, which is, which is everything. And the reality is that everything, you know, it's kind of taken me back because everything we're talking about here is not overly complex. You know, it's, it's extremely simple. Um, and it kind of comes back to, you know, old style, old school software development and how we build systems because systems are so expensive that we, by the time we got to the implementation stage, we did lots of planning and lots of design on paper before the stuff was implemented. Not trying to get back to the fact that we have to, you know, uh, paralysis through analysis and all that kind of stuff uh, that I think was, was get back that and not getting away from agile, but just having a vision as to where you're looking to take it and what the thing needs to do and have everybody in the organization is able to explain the vision. You know, that's the core thing. So everybody understands based on their actions during the day, they're making a decision and understand requirements, utilization of technology. It gets down to a common vision that everybody that exists in the organization from the CIO, you know, down to the IT staffer who's, who's managing the data center and, and, and not hard. It really isn't hard to implement. It just became very hard because uh, those sorts of ideas are up against a marketing machine yeah. that likes to talk about using technology as the way in which you're going to get to the end state. And that's almost never going to be the case. We got in trouble now by doing that. So let's let's kind of you know back up a bit, realize that that's not the way to go, figure out some sort of a hybrid way to get to this, so we're normalizing complexity, we're dealing with cost efficiencies, we're dealing with different metrics. More importantly, we're maximizing the return of the stuff to the uh, value to the business, which is, you know, and we can prove it. You know, there's metrics and we can prove that we're making it happen, things like that, versus, well, we hope we got there. It works. Now that's, you're, you're, you're killing yourself and you're doing that. It's really all about the approach, but making sure that the approach is actually going towards vision. Absolutely well said. Yep, and I and and I think that in the idea of it being agile or analysis paralysis, uh, it goes back to that 
term that IBM created on bimodal IT. And it's not that, and you know, quick review, application team, go fast and furious, infrastructure team, take your time, get it right. In this day and age, we have to move faster. And as I said before, we have a lot of tools to do that, but you gotta think differently. And you still have to do a little more planning. So if I look at uh, what IoT and cloud services are doing for cities with, uh, you know, pollution and control of traffic and all these things that go into place, those are the great things outside on cloud. But the infrastructure are the roads and the pipes that are underneath. So I can't just, as much as I want to make that infrastructure just shift and become agile and I can move my road over here and over there, build another bridge, I can't do that. When that bridge is old and it's time for me to replace it, we see all the time them changing the way interchanges function to make them better. Great, that's the time to do it. And there's no reason to try and do it all at once. But if, if, if that exchange is still working, use it. When it's time to redo it, decide then how to optimize it. And I don't know, I just think that uh, people need to place a little more emphasis on what it means to move an infrastructure. I think we've actually literally neglected what's happening inside of the infrastructure. Yeah, that sums it up. I think that's how we got in trouble. In other words, neglecting in terms of having vision, visibility, and to what the ASDIS state is, what the TB state needs to be. I, I don't think many organizations had an idea, had a clue, still don't. I really appreciate having this conversation with both of you. I love listening to Anthony and I work with him. I don't see him often, but when he's on stage, I really enjoy it. And I follow you. So it's a real pleasure to sit and talk with you. If we were going to summarize a kind of our conversation today, um, how would you, uh, and we've got plenty of times. Yeah, I think it's becoming more strategy and infrastructure development as we, we kind of summarize. So the ability to kind of look at this as something that needs to grow systemically over time and have a vision. And if we don't do that, we're going to end up in trouble like many companies are today. So go make that work. Very well stated. Yeah. Anything to add to that? I think you pretty much covered it, right? <laughs> I think so too. I think so too. So again, thank you very much. I really appreciate it.